up here in verse 1. It says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As these ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they, were, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So a uh, long list of, uh, well, shorter list, but it's, uh, you know, it takes up a, a full verse there of, of who, is, who is being spoken of as prophets and teachers. And it says, uh, after those that are named, it's, it's saying, as they, they ministered to the Lord, they fasted um, the, uh, and, and uh, ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit spoke. So uh, these men that are listed here are listed as prophets and teachers, ones that would, uh, you know, a teacher teaches the word. A prophet would be one that would hear a message from the Lord and speak that forth. So uh, those people are mentioned in those uh, two um, positions. And when it says here that they were ministering uh, to the Lord and fasted, that means that they're, they're serving God. And as they're serving God, they're also fasting. So uh, when, when you're speaking of fasting, if you, uh, you, it, it's kind of popular right now. There's um, what is it, uh, IF, intermittent fasting that a lot of people are doing uh, for their bodies, you know, that, that what, what fasting will do for your physical body will help cleanse things out. Um, this is speaking differently than just the, the bodily uh, benefits of, of fasting. This is uh, something that would uh, be done so that somebody might wholeheartedly and, and without interruption be able to serve God and to seek him. So you know, fasting can... Um, be uh, beneficial in, in many times for us that uh, that we're going through uh, you know any types of, of uh, things that are difficult for us uh, things that uh, maybe we're seeking guidance so we'll, we'll talk here about that but you know fasting and prayer uh, are, are different but are, are often linked in the scripture uh, prayer is not fasting uh, fasting is not prayer um, so when we consider that, uh, when you look at, at the scriptures, though, when things that were big were happening, you know, this is the church that's growing. So these, these people were, were fasting, which means they were abstaining from food or water for a short time so that they are, are, are not, uh, broken up in their communion with the Lord. So they're taking that time away just to, to seek God. Now, it's not always that easy for us sometimes, right? Where we have the day off or we have, uh, you know, we have to go to work, right? And in that time, we may, uh, the Lord may be impressing on our heart too fast, uh, where we need to just say, hey, you know what? Instead of eating my lunch today, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast through my lunch at work. Uh, and, uh, and I'm going to take that time, that half hour lunch break or whatever you get, and I'm going to take that time to spend that time with the, with the Lord. I'm going to go alone on my lunch break, and I'm going to go out, open my Bible up, and I'm just going to read and pray and just seek the Lord. Because we're going through something that uh, you know we uh, need to 
get uplifted from the Lord in. Uh, you know, maybe there's something that uh, there's a major trial in our life. Maybe there's big decisions happening in our lives. Maybe there's uh, uh, something that uh, that we know that we need God to remove from our lives. Whatever it is that we would just spend that time and and truly seek God's face. That that unbroken time with the Lord. Uh, don't know about you, but I can get to a point where I'm uh, too busy. I think I'm too busy, right? And I'm like, well, I don't really have time for, for so I'm going to say a quick prayer, and I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to get into the Word for five minutes, and hey, if, if don't get me wrong, this, that's better than nothing, but if that's our, our daily approach to our walk, you know, that fast food, right? Uh, you know, think of the, the fast food approach, right? You guys remember that show, um, uh, Super Size Me, you know, where that guy just started slamming fast food every meal he had. Right. And he, I, I don't know if he made it through the 30 days. I think they might have stopped him. I don't know. But how bad that was for him, because all he was taking in was fast food. Don't get me wrong. The, the, the scriptures as we're throwing them in. But isn't it greater for us to be able to set aside more time and just say, you know what, I, I need to instead of, hey, I'm going to read the verse of the day. Right. The verse of the day, don't it's 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 great. It's like, a, you know, a bite of steak or, you know, a sip of milk. That's great. Uh, you know, there's going to be nourishment that comes from it, but the Lord, I mean, have you ever looked at how thick the Bible is? He has something to say to us, right? So, so for us to be able to set aside that time. So when they're talking here that they ministered to the Lord and they're fasting, you know, they're, they're taking that time to, to pray and, uh, they, they want to have that undivided time with the Lord. And uh, when you consider in the scripture, fasting uh, can be listed here for intercessory prayer. Second uh, Samuel 16, David offered intercessory prayer uh, for the son that uh, the Lord told him he was going to lose because it was a son uh, of, uh, that resulted in an adulterous affair uh, and the murder of Uriah, one of his 30 uh, mightiest men. So, you know, when you're considering uh, that intercession that David would fast and pray, that he set everything aside and he just fasted. He didn't eat. He didn't drink. He just spent that time with the Lord. There is great benefit to us to set that time aside uh, with the Lord. Um, you know, fasting doesn't it doesn't earn more of God's attention. It's not like God's not going to uh, pay attention to us unless we're fasting. Don't get that, that wrong. This is for us to slow our minds down, slow everything else in this world down. And we can just have undivided time with God. And with that comes, you know, God ministering to us. We can fast in prayer and repentance or confession and say, you know what? I need to get right with the Lord. I need to spend more time with God so that I can confess to him what I've had going on in my heart, in my life. He knows, but there's something powerful about us confessing that with our mouths, right? Sharing those things and saying, God, I need you to forgive me and restore me and strengthen me. So we might we might uh, take time for fasting and uh, praying because of that, or an intense spiritual struggle, as as I spoke of earlier. When you're seeking guidance, now these guys were just serving the Lord in fasting. That's what they were doing as an act of worship. You may remember a uh, a widow uh, listed in in Luke chapter twenty. Uh, sorry, chapter two, verse thirty-seven. It says, "And this woman." was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. That's what she did. That was her offering to the Lord is she would fast often and she would pray. And she just she was a widow. She's just like, hey, I've got nothing else going on. Uh, I'm going to be here and I'm going to spend my time serving the Lord. And that's what, that's what she made the focus in her life. 
she's listed in the Bible. <laughs> like, can you imagine, like, you know, how many times could we, could we, you know, strive for something in our lives? And we see men and women strive for in our lives for perishable crowns, right? You know, this woman, this woman here, just because, she, and, and it wasn't like, hey, maybe if I do this, God's going to put me in the Bible someday. That her, her heart was just so dedicated to serving the Lord. And how did she serve the Lord? In prayer and fasting. And she's mentioned here. And so, so consider that when when we uh, when we see what's happening here. So this group of people, they're 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 fasting and they're they're ministering to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit says that at, you know, as they're uh, seeking the Lord, He says, "Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them." So uh, as a result of uh, them seeking the Lord, the Lord speaks to them and He tells them to separate. Um, Paul and 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 uh, it says Saul here, but even as we read later on, he's going to be uh, referred to as Paul in verse nine. But uh, separate them, and 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 it goes uh, further to say that uh, that they he has a special work for them uh, to which he has has called them. Now, uh, being set apart, that that uh, job that they had was to spread the gospel. And uh, they they were they weren't to just stay there. These two I'm sending out. So they're being now, as you look at verse four, it says, "So being sent out by the Holy Spirit." The Holy Spirit spoke to them, and He said, "Set these guys apart." And as a result of them being uh, set apart, they were being sent out. So uh, as a result of the fasting and prayer, uh, we see that they've been sent out. So they laid hands on them. And, uh, you know, there's a significance in laying on of hands. It's a special way of, of us. It's not like we have special powers to transfer over, but it's a, it's a, uh, a way to communicate an intimacy and prayer to put our hand on one another's shoulders or around you. Right, right? I mean, when you're discouraged or something, someone puts their arm around you. It's just like, hey, man, hey, hey, girl, whatever. Uh, you know, I love you. And th there's just something to be said about that, right? This is, this is the, the scriptures. And the scriptures also say not to be quick to lay hands on some, uh, that as they're laying hands on them and they're praying for them and commissioning them to step into ministry, that that person needs to be proven. They need to uh, establish themselves uh, in that body of believers. And then after they have, and, and we can assure that that person has been built up and that they're ready for ministry, then you would put your hands on them and pray that God's Holy Spirit would uh, minister to them and, and build them up and use them. But that, that laying on of hands, that's what they're talking about. We're going to encourage these brothers. We're going to lay our hands on them, and uh, we're going to pray for them and, and then send them out as the Spirit says. So when they're sent out by the Holy Spirit, God did the sending. You know, um, I think oftentimes uh, we can get to a point where i got to go. i got to go do something. I don't know where i got to go. So we get being like a dog, and we're running in circles, right? My dog will do that when I get home. He just doesn't know what to do, so he just spins around in front of me. And I'm petting him, and he keeps spinning, and every, he doesn't know what direction I'm going to go next, right? But he'll just keep spinning and bumping into me. And then when I'm walking down the hallway, he grabs the, the, the strap to my backpack, and he's pulling me backwards because he just wants to play. He wants to do those things. He's just so excited that he's going, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do this. You know, For us, spiritually, we can get to a point where there's no, there's no direction, right? So we just need to wait for God to send us out. When he sent us out, we know where we need to go. And, you know, once we've prayed and fasted uh, for the leading and we get the confirmation, then we just go. We don't have to over-spiritualize it. Just when God gives a direction, we go in that direction.
Verse 5, And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was uh, with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man uh, called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, This is not a great pleasantry here. O oh, oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished by, at the teaching of the Lord. So uh, these two, Paul and Barnabas had been sent out by the Holy Spirit. And they're preaching the word. They have John Mark as their assistant. And they come up on these two. And one of them's uh, Bar-Jesus and Sergius Paulus. Now, Sergius Paulus is, if you have a King James version, it will say a deputy of the land. My new King James says the pro-council. But a, a deputy of the land. So this is a powerful man. is an intelligent man. And uh, he wanted to hear the, the word of God from Paul and, uh, and Barnabas. But Bar-Jesus was one uh, that uh, the name was translated, uh, Elimus, uh, was a, a sorcerer, a false prophet who withstood them, trying to turn Sergius Paulus away from the faith. So uh, that's uh, quite, a, quite a powerful thing to consider. There's a man that wants to hear the gospel, and he's got somebody that's right next to him, that he knows well, that says that he's a sorcerer, and uh, I have, uh, he's a sort and sorcerer, a false prophet. Sorcerer and a false prophet. He wants people to follow him. He doesn't want people to follow Christ. And as soon as he hears that there might be something that might take somebody away from him, because, I mean, he's walking around with the deputy of the land, right? That's a, that's a powerful man. Wait a minute. This might take away some of my power. This might take away some of my clout. My, my resume is going to have a notch in it, like, like a, a scratch out, right, if I lose this guy. So he tries to stop them. And, and uh, there's, a, uh, there's an important lesson there. You know, maybe for us, if you're uh, curious about the faith and, and you haven't started your own walk with the Lord, or even if you have, uh, that just be careful. There are some uh, that may be around us uh, that aren't walking with the Lord that might want to keep us from doing so. Might want to, for their own uh, just selfish reasons, might want to get in the way of us following the Lord. What might that be? It could be anything with any situation. It might be a loved one that says, wait a minute, if you do that, you're no longer going to live in sin with me. So if I lose that, right? So, so there's, I, I'm going to lose all these things, so I need to frustrate that. 
I need to, I need to, I need to upset the apple cart because this person seems to be moving in that direction. I need to stop that. That's what this man was doing. Or if this person goes and becomes a Christian, then you know what? What am I going to do then? You know, this has been the person that's you know my my party partner, right? And if they become a Christian, then who am I going to party with? You don't want to do that. Come on, man. Let's go. Let's go in this direction. You really want to get up in the morning, you go and you know be at church with a bunch of hypocrites and you know all this stuff. You know the things that are going to be said, right? Yeah. Yep. Those uh, be prepared for those things. You know, as we're diving deeper into our relationship with the Lord, the discouragement that come might come from the outside, even those that might be standing right next to us in life. You know, we have to be weary. We can't, you know, because, you know, what did, what did Jesus say about scattering seed, right? He said some seed was going was gonna, to, uh, ultimately, we want seed to grow, to, to land on ground that's soil that's ready to receive it, right? So that it can be watered and this, the, the seed can grow, right? But, but unfortunately, when you look at that parable, there's some seed that grows, uh, that, that gets there and it grows up so fast and then it gets scorched by the sun or the seed that gets scattered and uh, the birds of the air come quickly and they, they eat it up, right? Those types of things can happen in our life. You know, we have to be mindful of those things. So uh, Saul recognizes what's happening here, and he confronts the man. He says, this person's trying to learn about Jesus Christ. He doesn't say it just this way, but he's, he, he confronts him very uh, bluntly. I mean, this is, this is a powerful uh, rebuke that he says here. He says, oh, full of deceit. And all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? You know, Saul saw right through this man. He's like, wait a minute, I know you. <laughs> I know I know what's going on in your heart. You need to stop this. I mean, when you call somebody a son of the devil, that's pretty I mean, I mean, you're not you're not like, hey, can we go get lunch, coffee after this? Like you're you're blasting the socks off off them. That's it. You know, and, and, and Saul's not afraid to. That's proper sometimes. Sometimes it's a stern rebuke that needs to come. You need to stop what you're doing. You know, this person's trying to grow in their faith, and here you are with selfish motives trying to keep them from doing that. You need to repent. Saul doesn't hold back, and he just blasts this guy. And he, he uh, informs him that he's going to be blind for a time. You know, dark mist fell on on him, and you know he went around seeking someone that would lead him. Paul knew that feeling, didn't he? <laughs> Remember Acts chapter nine? He got to that point where you know the the light blinded him, and he had to have somebody lead him into Damascus, right? Because when he was on those way, that that's what happened. And uh, you know this this uh, this man was going to go through the same thing. But uh, when you consider the difference here, this was to get Saul's attention that he would that he would uh, you know, come to faith and, and be changed for the gospel. We don't know what happens with this guy. But we do know that, hey, the, you know, your sorcery, everything, it's nothing to God. And, and to show you that, he's going to blind you for a time. We don't know how long it was, but he was blinded for a time. And he, he got to the point where he needed somebody to show him around. He was used to being the guy that everybody would look to and be like, Oh, the sorcerer, the false prophet, will you show me around? Will you teach me? Will you be the one? He was used to being that one that would lead people astray, though, right? So now he has to trust somebody when he can't see them. So the roles have been reversed for him, and now he's at a point of weakness. And people that 
that uh, are around him, he has to start trusting them, that they're going to lead him. And I wonder for him, I, I have to believe that God was saying, it doesn't feel good being led by somebody you don't know if you can trust, right? That's just uh, just how the Lord works. I believe what was what was happening there is that doesn't feel good, does it? You know, you don't, you're not liking this, are you? And uh, and he gets to a point where he has to be uh, led around. That's a, that'll uh, hopefully that hopefully led to a point of brokenness. What we do know here, it says in verse 12. Then uh, the proconsul Sergius Paulus believed when he saw what had happened, being astonished at the teaching of the word. You know, he no longer had Bar Jesus getting in the way. That sorcerer Alimus, uh, however you want to uh, refer to him. You know, if we have people forbidding us to be in the scriptures, go to church, pray, you know, pray and ask God to take care of it. You know, I've, I've, uh, I've often been, um, it's, you know, I think, I think people have with good intention, um, you know, just been like, do you guys, do you guys really go to church twice a week? Do you have to go twice a week? You know, God, God, you know, he's not going to strike you dead if you miss a service. I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to miss a service. Right. Because they're just thinking like, hey, you're, is the church controlling you and everything? And this was years, years ago, and um, I haven't had this happen. Actually, it has come up uh, fairly recently too. Kind of funny. I'm like, well, I'm the pastor there, so I kind of got to be there, right? But, but there's the, the there's that that outside thing where people think, hey, man, you're missing out on life and everything. And and uh, uh, no, no, I'm not. You know, the Lord redeems time. And uh, when I, I spend time with him and serving him, I'm not going to sit there and look back and go, if I only would have just sought myself more, you know, at the end, you know, there's, it's, it's not, we know the end result of that, right? So we see this man come to faith that, that Saul had to step in between this man that was a false prophet and one that, that was uh, a, a sorcerer, one that loved to be followed and one to be revered and everything. And uh, Saul stepped in and and said, uh, you know, you know, you're a son of the devil, and we're going to preach to this guy. And when they did, it saved his life, and uh, came to came to faith that day. Verse thirteen. Now, when Paul and his party set sail to uh, from Paphos, they came to Persia in, in Pamphylia, and John departed from them, returned, uh, departing from them, returned. To Jerusalem, so we don't know why John Mark departed, but based on what we do know, which we're going to get into a little bit later in Acts chapter 15, so in another couple of weeks, Lord willing, uh, it was enough uh, to make Paul not want uh, to have him along again on the second missionary journey. But we'll pull this from Acts chapter 15, verse 38 says uh, that when they were about to go, Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one that had departed uh, from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do uh, to the work. So, as I said, we'll discuss this further. There, it becomes uh, quite contentious, and there's a, a division between Barnabas and Saul uh, over the participation of John Mark with them on their second missionary journey. So on the first one, that didn't end so well. So uh, we'll talk about that later. But essentially, Paul wanted somebody that he, he felt he could rely on. And after whatever happened with John Mark, he wasn't on board, uh, but we see that Barnabas takes him 
alongside. It's Bar he's Barnabas's cousin, so uh, Barnabas understands him and, and says, "You know what? I'm going to take him along then." And and Saul, uh, Paul took a Silas with him. So we'll discuss that more and weed into Acts chapter 15, verse 14 says, "But when they departed uh, from uh, Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia, and into the synagogue." on the Sabbath day and, and sat down. And when the reading of the law and the pro, uh, sorry, and after reading uh, the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them saying, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on, we're going to see here as we read, they're going to regret this. Uh, then Paul stood up and motioning with his hands and said, men of Israel, and uh, and you who fear God, listen, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. And for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land. Uh, to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. So we see here that they they went on uh, in their ministry, and um, when they uh, came to Antioch of Pisidia, uh, they went into the synagogues on the Sabbath day and sat down. So they're ministering to Jews. They want to reach out to uh, their fellow Jewish brethren, and, and uh, as they're after the the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogues knew that they were visiting and that they had something to share, and they invite them to share. That exhortation would be something that would build up the church. That's what that means. Uh, so when you see the word exhortation, that means to, uh, do you, do you have a word of exhortation to build up? If you do, say on. So. Uh, <clears throat> They, uh, Paul gets into a history lesson for them, and he, and he starts, uh, so he stands up to address uh, the group here, and as he stood up, he uh, says to them, you know, he, he starts out referring them back to uh, what God had done for Israel uh, in delivering them from Egypt. Now, we're right in that study on Wednesday nights, so we're, we're kind of right along this, and we're seeing here um, we're uh, we're about to get into uh, the tenth plague, you know, death of the firstborn. That's coming up this week, and and so this is all fresh for us that have been going through that study. But uh, so so Saul and uh, Paul is is turning their attention, and he says, "Men and brethren, if you have, uh, sorry, he says, uh, men of Israel and you who fear uh, God, listen." So he grabs their attention. Hey, if you're from Israel, if you're Jewish and you fear God, you need to listen to what I have to say here. Okay, so he's preparing them for what what's what's uh, what's coming up here, and and he goes on to say the God of this people, uh, Israel, chose our fathers, and and then he goes on to talk to them about what happened in Egypt, and he says uh, with an uplifted arm he brought them out of it. So uh, what we've been studying through are the plagues, right? And there's been a lot going on uh, as we've been studying on Wednesday, and we've seen the hardness. <clears throat> 
of Pharaoh's heart. That as he had a hard heart before the Lord and God combining that with the judgments that he said were going to happen from Genesis 15, we saw that God was going to take uh, take Egypt through a, a number of judgments. And uh, it's, it's interesting to see how those judgments tie into their pagan worship, that they that they're worshiping certain false gods and everything. So there was there was a lot happening there. So once they've been delivered, so after the death of the firstborn, they get they they they're told to get out of there. And as they're leaving, they have the the uh, Egyptian army following them, trying to track them down. Right. And God parts the Red Sea. And after the Red Sea is parted and, and Israel walks through on dry ground, here comes the Egyptian army following after them. Right. Don't get caught up in the stupid lie that it's the Reed Sea that's 18 inches deep. How many times have you heard an army dying in 18 inches of water, guys? Right. That's stupid by itself. Just say that and then move on. OK, sometimes we need to dig in on a, on a conversation. Other times you just say, have you ever died in a mud puddle? Right. Yeah. So uh, let alone an army. But anyways, so. Uh, so they tried to, and God swallowed up the Egyptian army that was following Israel. Then they came to a point that, of unbelief. So even after they had been through all of these plagues and they had been spared in the land of Goshen, right? After all of that, they had been delivered from their oppressor, Egypt, and they had been through so much. This is what Paul starts uh, addressing with them. Verse 18, he says, Now for a time of about 40 years he put up with their ways in the wilderness. Put up with them for 40 years. Have you, ever, have you ever looked at your life and like, man, God has put up with me for this long, right? Even when we know better, right? Sometimes when we don't know better and we didn't ha you know, have the scriptures to, to correct us, but sometimes we get to that point where we're like, oh, man, you know, it just I really have to submit my will to God's will, right? And he's got to put up with our ways and he's got to put up with us just being hard-headed uh, and just being stubborn and those things. You know, 40 years is a long time. That's 40 years of wandering in the desert, not moving forward, right? Not moving into the promises that God had for them before. That's a long time, guys. We could experience that in our lives. I'm 43. I don't want to experience that till I'm 83, right? Hopefully, if I, there's any wandering that needs to happen for me, it's about 40 seconds. And I realize I need to fall on my face and repent, right? That's what we're supposed to do. But these guys, so what, what he's, he's saying here is that he put up with their time for about 40 years. You know, that's a long time to, to, to put up. That, that tells you of the patience of our Lord. So Israel had been delivered from Egypt. They'd seen all these things. And they get to Kadesh Barnea. And Moses sent out 12 spies. This is in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, if you, you don't want to later look these up. But, uh, you know, the, 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 the spies, the 12 spies that are sent out, right? They, come, they go out, they come back. Ten of them are like, there's no way. These people are huge. They're giants. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. Caleb and Joshua are like, mm-mm, the Lord wants to do this, he can do it. We need to listen to the Lord. And um, there's this, uh, this point where, uh, you know, as Caleb and, and Joshua are, are, are saying these things, that they're just getting pushed aside. Like, hey, what do you know? Get out of here. And uh, it came to the point where the people are saying, you know, we need to select a leader. We need to go back to Egypt. Right. <laughs> Think of how stupid that is. Right. They just spent 400 years serving Egypt, 400 years of slavery. Right. And they just say, hey, you know what? The leeks, the onions, the garlic, it smelled awesome. Guys, we were just at the, at the uh, Bucksport Bay Festival yesterday 
and uh, went down for fireworks afterward. And Natalie and I are walking. Um, uh, she had a, a friend that was, uh, you know, watching the fireworks. So we're trying to track down that friend, and we're walking by like the 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 onion ring station, right? And we're like, <gasps> you know, we both just like lost our breath. It smelled so awesome, right? You know, that uh, just it, it it they do smell awesome. You know, and uh, I, onions are great, but do I want to be a slave for an onion? No, I'm good with the rest of my life if I don't smell onions, right? If that means that I'm free, you know, but these guys want to go back. They, they're literally saying, let us select somebody uh, to go back. That's from Numbers chapter 14, verse 4. Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Let's go back to the old way of life. We don't really know what's going on here. We're getting scared, right? So in our faith, in our lives, can we get to that point? Absolutely. We can get to a point where we lose faith in the Lord and what he's done in our lives and we forget what he's delivered us from. And we say, you know what? Things are getting heavy. What does God know? What are these people? I don't know. I'm going back. I'm going back. Whether that's us or other people in our lives, there is no life going back. There's only bondage. There's only regret. There's only slavery, right? Caleb and Joshua are going, no. They're trying to encourage the people. And they, they uh, in turn, wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. Shut these guys up. Take them out and stone them. And, uh, you know, they had very short memories for getting everything that God had already done. And I think we can relate to that of going, oh, yeah, I, I kind of forgot everything that God's done uh, until he reminds us, right? And uh, the, the people uh, weren't necessarily just rejecting Caleb and Joshua. It was much deeper than that. They were rejecting the Lord, and God said that. God told Moses, Numbers chapter 14, verse 11 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed for them? How long? Guys, they, these people had seen flies come and overtake homes of all the, the, the Egyptians and lice and dead frog, like frogs everywhere, like everywhere is that frogs in the mixing bowls, right? You know, and, and in the food and all, all this stuff. You can't escape these things. And then we just talked uh, this past weekend about locusts. You know, that after hail had destroyed everything, whatever what left was green, here come the locusts to eat everything, right? Locusts so so thick of a swarm. Um, I, I saw something from National Geographic that when locusts are in like full swarm, you can have 150 million of them in a square mile. 150 million of them. This even exceeded that. Just think of that. Do you want a bunch of like locusts coming at and, and how loud they are because parts of their bodies rub together when they fly and everything. It's just deafening sound. You can't see anything that it would block out light, right? Everything's dark. That type of thing. They had, And from Goshen, and then the, the three days of just nothing but darkness. From Goshen, they're looking and uh, they're they're looking over and they're seeing complete black and darkness in Egypt. They had seen and witnessed all these things. They had seen the Egyptian army get swallowed up, everything, and that wasn't enough to convince them that they could trust God. We can do the same thing in our lives, our hearts, and all it takes is a little bit of, of uh, just untying. Uh, Will taught us this years ago, and it's always stuck with me. To drift away from the Lord, you don't even have to do anything. Just untie from the dock, right? The tide's going to take you out. And you're just going to far, far, drift further and further away. And that's what was happening with them. The further away they were, the more that they were uh, departing from uh, faith in the Lord. So uh, God tells them, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. So unbelief after seeing all that. And you guys uh, that had been here for a little, I've only been uh, pastoring this church for less than a year, but you know what's coming next. Seeing is not believing. 
Seeing is not. We can see so many things in our lives. We can see this. We can see that. We can all these things. And, and, and what ends up happening most of the time in the Christian church is, oh, that was an exciting service. We need to go back for this. And, and, and it's got to be more ramped up. And it's got to be this. It's got to be that. It's got to be somebody's got to scream. And they got to have music as they're screaming. All this stuff. And i got to leave out, out of here this hysteria and everything. And we're going to, yeah, service was awesome. And all you really experienced was emotionalism. That's it. Somebody has figured out how to stir you up. And did you get into the word? Did you dive into the word and understand what it is? Because that's what we're called to do and to know the word, right? And to know the Lord. That's what we're, we're called to, right? Man, there's so much craziness. Seeing those things because then that's all we're focused on. I remember, and I'll share this again, and I'm sorry if I feel, sound like a broken record, but I remember uh, I was just getting into ministry, and, and I'll confess I was not, I shouldn't have been in ministry at that point. I was brand new to my faith, just starting to grow. And because Jen and I were young, we were, uh, we were like 20 and 19 and we were new in the church. They're like, these guys should, should be heading up a youth ministry and which I was excited for, but I didn't know enough. But I, I remember being there and I'm talking to the youth and I'd seen this, this pastor on TV. His name was Rod Parsley. And if that's one of your guys, I'll apologize in advance. Um, Rod Parsley is is speaking and he's getting everybody riled up and he, he's looking at everybody. Do you want to see a miracle? He's screaming this and getting everybody fired up. And and God, I was I was I, I had this in my faith and I had known from uh, being in Bible studies and everything. Wait, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Wait a minute. If this is all they're doing, if this is church, they're not seeking to know the Lord. They just want to see something cool happen. But that's not going to spark believing faith. That might just get them excited. But when things get hard, right, because we can say a prayer that, that we think is going to be cool and going to promise us, you know, all this excitement all the time. But what are we called to? To submit our lives to Jesus Christ, to know him as our Lord and as our Savior, right, and to grow in our faith. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. But if all we're looking for is the next hoorah and everything, we're not going to have any firm, established faith. And as soon as something, a you know, little bit of flame gets put on there, melt. That's it. It's gone. And what do we do? I'm going back. We have to be a fir a fir firm and established in our faith. So uh, Moses intercedes for Israel, and God told them that uh, for 40 years they were going to wander in the desert until that dying, that generation died off. Those 40, uh, in those 40 years, those uh, that generation that was not believing him would die off. Only Caleb and Joshua, the ones that believed, would be the ones of that generation that would come out of that and uh, would see the promised land. So because they believed in the Lord. I know that was a really long break from uh, you know, what we're reading here, but when, uh, when God speaks, we just have to look at it and, and dive into it sometimes. So, and uh, Paul continues, when he destroyed seven nations in Canaan, you know, God did the work. He gave them the victories. So uh, Israel's strength was not in their numbers. It was the fact that God was with them, giving them the victory. And they had to learn that the hard way sometimes, didn't they? They experienced loss and they experienced struggle because they uh, they would uh, their focus would turn away from the Lord. So God gave them the victory. God's the one that conquers and defeats uh, what what may be opposing us in our lives, and He does that on our behalf. So He we need to trust Him, obey Him, and follow Him faithfully. So God distributed uh, their land according to His will and foreknowledge, uh, as as uh, 
Saul is is teaching them about the land here at the end of verse 19. And uh, and uh, Israel uh, was given judges, it says in verse 20, that he, he, he gave them judges for about 450 years. So that's a long time, right? That's almost twice as long as America's been a country. Um, they were given judges to oversee them. And uh, Judges is a really interesting book. You can see great victory in the Lord. You can see great defeat in the Lord. Uh, not uh, defeat as they're walking away from the Lord. Not defeat in the Lord. Um, scratch that, okay? Uh, no, great victory in the Lord. Great defeat as uh, people were not seeking the Lord. And they were seeking themselves. The book of Judges, it's sad to read at the end of the book of Judges. Uh, in uh, chapter 21, verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right. In his own eyes. That's a long time to not have somebody uh, where, where they're just, they keep rejecting the Lord and then they'll kind of follow after a judge and they'll get a good judge and then they'll get a bad judge or whatever. And there's just chaos. There's some really disturbing things that happen in the, in the book of Judges. But when it's summarized in, in uh, Judges 21 that it says everyone did what was right in their own eyes, then you can kind of put into context some of the things that are written within it. So if you've really struggled with some stuff, uh, that's written in that book, go to that verse and go, ah, I see what's happening here. They uh, they were at a point where they uh, were still rejecting the Lord and uh, they uh, were doing what was right in their own eyes. And then it says, until Samuel the prophet came along and Samuel himself was um, used mightily by the Lord and uh, he uh, was used to anoint uh, Saul and David. Now, verse 21, it says, and afterward, they asked for a king. So after the judges, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man uh, of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. So uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7 says, and the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. So they asked for a king. They actually demanded a king is really what it's talking about. They're like, no, we want to be like everybody else. All these other nations have a king. We want a king. And God is saying, why do you want a king? Let me be your king. Let me be the one that leads you. And they're like, no, we want a guy. We want somebody here. Guys, if we ever want a person to stand in front of God to be the one to lead us, we are 100% of the time in a wrong spot. 100% of the time. Does God give us people to help and strengthen us? Absolutely. But if we want that person to be the one that, that is our, our Lord, that's the problem. And God even told him, look, if you have a king, you're going to have to pay taxes to that king. You're going to have to give up the best of what you own. Your sons and daughters are going to be called to be servants. He's, and and they're, they're going to like take over everything. You sure you want that? Okay, you want to reject me? I'm going to give you a king. And he gives him Saul and uh, because they wanted to be like everyone else. And God had already warned them, and it's a big mistake they made. Saul reigned for 40 years, and what we see in the scripture is many of them were tragic. You know, Saul went out of his mind because of, of his disobedience to the Lord. He started out right, though, started out small in his own eyes. 1 Samuel 9, verse 21 says, And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite? When, when, when he heard the news from Samuel that he's going to be king, he's like, Who, me? You know, this, this is the equivalent of what's happening here. This is what's being said here is, Who, me? Like, I'm, who am I? I mean, I'm a Benjamite, you know, of the smallest of the tribes of, of Israel, and my family is the least of the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Why then do you speak this uh, like this to me? He's like, who am I? Like, my family's small, we're the tribe of, like, 
who who are we? That was his mindset. And uh, but we see that in his life, he didn't obey the Lord and carry out God's commands. So he started out small in his own eyes. And, and Samuel actually says that to him in first Samuel chapter 15, verse 17. So Samuel said to him, you were little when you were little in your own eyes. Were you not the head, uh, not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you over Israel? You know, Samuel had to say, you were told to go wipe out the Amalekites. That's what you, you were supposed to do. And what did you do? You saved those that were good, and you saved all the, I mean, they were supposed to wipe out animals, everything. Malachites were exceedingly wicked, attacking the weak of Israel. And they were being judged by God, and God was using them to, uh, to, to pour out his judgment on the Amalekites. And Saul, then Saul, as he's confronted by Samuel, says, well, the people. Like, no, man, who's the king? You're the king here, and you've rejected the word of God. And what it says here is, uh, as he's trying to talk his way out of the situation, 1 Samuel 15, 26, but Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. Because he's saying, like, let's just forget about, about this. Why don't you return with me uh, back to where we need to go, and, and, and you can uh, lead me in worship, and we'll serve the Lord together. And he says, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. You know, that's what happened to Saul. So the Saul that's being mentioned here, uh, you know, there's a downward spiral that happened and, and he went mad, tried to kill David, his son-in-law. Verse 22, and when they had moved, uh, had removed him, he raised up from them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. And after John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all, uh, to, uh, all the people of Israel, and as John was finishing his course, he said, who, am I, uh, who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. So uh, Paul, continuing on, says, well, after Saul came, David came, and he was a man after God's own heart that would do uh, the, the will of the Father. And he said, from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised for Israel a Savior, Jesus. So the promised Savior, so remember, he's talking to Jews, and he's saying, Hey, remember all this rebellion and, and these these kings that were run, uh, that were ruling before. Here's Saul. You know what happened with Saul. Here's David. You know what happened with David, right? You know. Uh, so he's got everybody's attention, and he says, "Then there was the Savior that came from David's line that was promised." And uh, so he's 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 drawing their attention in, and then he shifts their shifts their focus to John the Baptist, and he's like, "Hey, remember John the Baptist before finishing his course? That's a cool way of uh, thinking." John the Baptist lost his head. Because he preached righteousness. And so he finished his course. He finished his race the way he should have. But uh, John made it clear that he was not the Messiah. And that he was sent to prepare the way for the Messiah. And that he was not worthy to loose the sandals uh, of the Messiah. So there was one greater that was coming. So what Paul is doing now is identifying that Jesus is the one that, that David was, uh, that the, the salvation would come uh, and that the Messiah would come through David's line. And now what he's saying is he's the one that John talked about. And his name is Jesus. 
It says, men and brethren, sons of the family of, of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. To you, he says. He's speaking to Jews, and they had inherited the promise of Ab as Abraham's descendants. And he says, the Savior that they are waiting for has come. Verse 27. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even their voices of the prophets, uh, which are read every Sabbath, uh, have fulfilled them in, condemn in, in uh, condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are, uh, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you, Glad tidings that promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled the sorry, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you, and that he raised him from the dead. No more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus. I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will, also, uh, you will not follow your Holy One, you not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and buried, uh, was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up, saw no corruption. So if you followed me through the stumbling there, what he's saying is, is uh, he's declaring that, that the, uh, the promised Messiah that, that was spoken of in the Psalms was Jesus. It wasn't David. That David couldn't have fulfilled those things because David was buried with his fathers and he saw corruption. But God raised up the Jesus that Israel and their leaders had rejected. That, that Jesus came along, Israel and their leaders rejected him, uh, and that he was the Messiah they were, they were looking for. So uh, he, he's quoting Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 there, and he, he shares with them that, that God raised him from the dead, and many people witnessed the resurrected Christ, and God fulfilled his promise as he always does. So he's drawing in their attention even more. Verse 38, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man... Uh, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So now he's getting deeper in this theology and he's drawing them in and he's saying, hey, there's a problem you have. That the law shows you that you're not perfect and you can't be perfect based on the, the, the fact that if you've sinned at any point, the law holds you guilty and you're guilty. And he says that Jesus uh, Christ alone was the one that could give them the justification. There's the, the play on words there that, that justified means that as we stand in Christ, it's justify had never sinned that justified that made acceptable is what justification means. So uh, you know, this uh, couldn't be done through the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And uh, when he did, that made the way for us to be saved. Verse 40 Beware, therefore, lest 
What has been spoken in the prophets come upon you? Behold, you despisers, marvel and, uh, and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. So what he's saying is, you know, there was the warning back to them that God could be working mightily and that these guys are just rejecting it, not allowing it, not accepting it, not allowing it to change their lives. He's like, don't be like these people. He's quoting Habakkuk uh, chapter 1, verse 5. He's telling them to listen and believe. Don't reject the gospel. You know, and that's an important uh, message uh, for for uh, anybody here that might be pushing back on the gospel. Don't reject it. Just accept it. You know, don't be that rugged terrain that that seed wants to, when it falls on, that the, the bird would come and take or that there would be quick faith that would spur, you know, sprout up, but it's not in that good soil. You know, just just yield yourself to the Lord and come to him. Verse 42, so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these might be, uh, that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So the Jews left and the Gentiles were begging for more. They're hungering and thirst for truth. There's a desperation for more. You know, they had never heard such good news. They're like, wait a minute, there's a savior. You're talking about a savior that can, that can like provide and, and, and save me from my sins. I have to hear more. Would you please, would you please speak to that next week when we meet again? They wanted to know more. You know, if that's happening in your life, if you're new to the Lord, that's a sign of the Holy Spirit working. Just that's a, that be encouraged. That faith is being established. You know, uh, there, there are times where uh, when we're first saved that, that we get to a point where we just can't get enough. I got to be at church every time. I got to be in the word all the time. and I need to be praying and everything. Don't let anybody discourage you. Don't let anybody look at you and say, yeah, it'll fade. It'll fade. One thing I can tell you is that as you grow, that newness, it could wear off. You know, but that's when 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 things because those that's like the spiritual high of salvation, like, ah, nothing can ever touch me. You know, I've been saved and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm perfect. I'm perfect now and there's nothing. I have no sin in my life and everything. We stand before God, but there's going to be a cleansing process that started from God, that he's going to be ripping this stuff out of our lives. And when we do come to the point where we kind of kind of get back to life or, or whatever, uh, that, that we get to a point where maybe we're not, because I've, I've heard people say, well, I don't feel the same way I did when I first got saved. What's going on with me and everything? That's a moment that I consider like a welcome to faith moment. Like now you're supposed to carry out and let God minister to you, even when you're not having all the, the excitement and jumping and like, ah, da, 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 da. When, you, when you get to a point where things are starting to, you know, God's putting us in the fire a little bit, right? Because he needs to purify our lives, right? He puts things in the fire and burns off all that stuff that needs to be taken away. And then he takes that, that iron out and he starts pounding it and shape, reshaping it, changing our lives. You know, that's what's, what's going to happen in our lives. Verse 43, now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, uh, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Many Jews and devout uh, proselytes are being spoken of here. So these are Jewish converts. Uh, and uh, they're, they're following Paul and Barnabas right now. They're being persuaded to continue in God's grace. You know what they're what they're learning is that what the law couldn't do, Christ did, and God's law demands perfection. And they, you know, we're not perfect, so 
they start hearing these things. They're like, all right, let's 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 learn some more here. And um, we understand that Christ fulfilled these needs uh, on our behalf. And it's his righteousness that gets imputed to us by grace through faith in him alone. So this crew following him was encouraged to accept God's grace and continue in it for salvation. Uh, interesting study. If you want to learn a little bit more about being uh, encouraged to continue in grace, open a book of Galatians and and look there and and see how Paul had to had to correct the church in Galatia because they're they're starting to wander so quickly from their faith um, and uh, they're believing that they've got to get back into tying in old things and everything. He's like, it's all about grace, guys. You know, the grace of God. And uh, there's an important study, a cool one. Verse 44 says, On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came uh, together to hear the word of God. And what a wonderful and powerful response. They were hungry for the, the word of God and to learn more about Christ and salvation in him. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by, by Paul. There's the problem. Envy, right? Envy. Wait a minute. You got more people following you and they're all excited. We're no longer in control here. What's going on? So they get to a point of envy. Envy is to want what belongs to somebody else. This is deep rooted resentment for them. And they, they just want to stir everybody up and, and get them out of there. They're just like, we're, we're tired of these guys. So they start contradicting them and blaspheming them, opposing uh, the words of Paul. And I'll just encourage you in your faith, if you're growing and you're sharing, be ready for that. Don't let that derail you. Be ready for it. When it comes, it, it will come. If you're sharing your faith, it's going to come. Don't get derailed. You know, just just trust the Lord. Say, God, is, is, am I doing the right thing? And he'll confirm that, and he'll give you the words to speak. Verse 46, and I'll, I'll be as fast as I can to get us through this. I, I was a little long-winded earlier. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you rejected it, and judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. I mean, they had already blasted uh, you know, Bar-Jesus before, right? This is like, this is fighting words uh, for, for uh, the children of Israel, for Jews. They're like, wait, you're, you're telling us that, that we're being replaced by, by the Gentiles? So this, this is like that boldness, that boldness came from the Holy Spirit. And it was necessary that the word of God would be spoken to them first. They needed to hear that first. And uh, But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. You know, belief in Christ is how we're saved. Rejecting him means judging yourself unworthy of everlasting life. That's what it is. You can be like, yeah, I know that's what the Bible says. I'm just going to reject it. That's what they're saying. That's where they're at with it. Like, yeah, we hear what you're saying, but we're rejecting it. Remember Romans 1.16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, right? Romans 11, 11 says, I say then, and, when, and, and Paul is talking about the Jews. The Jews haven't been set aside, set aside forever. It's not like they've been replaced by the church. There is that, that uh, um, growing, that, that false doctrine growing, that the Jews, that God has nothing to do with the Jews. Have you read the book of Revelation? You know, I mean, it seems like they're there the last time and that God's still going to do a work in them. No, they're, you know, they're, they're removed right now. They're going to be uh, grafted back in. But right now we are grafted in. 
those who are not Jews. And this is what, what Paul is describing in Romans 11, 11. He says, I say then, uh, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So basically, Paul's like, you guys don't want to listen? Fine, we're taking our gospel and we're going, you know, like a kid would play the basketball, right? Might be coming to mind. But it's like, we're going to take our gospel to those that are going to listen to it. You're going to reject it just like those in Jerusalem did. Then we're going to go spread it to those that want to hear it because these Gentiles want to hear it. And they're coming to faith. So we're going to, to share. Verse 47. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should uh, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. That's what they were called to do. And they they knew the ministry that they had and they were to proclaim the gospel uh, wherever they were going to be received. Verse 48. So when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord and many and as many as it were appointed that had been appointed to uh, eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. So the lost, the deplorables, the the uh, the Gentiles were coming to faith. And uh, they, the, Bible, the Bible made them glad. Uh, they received eternal life by faith in Christ. And they were all excited. The word of the Lord had spread throughout all the region. This is a good problem for the region, right? This is a good thing that's happening. You know, Israel, hey, you want to reject this, Israel? Go ahead and reject it. But we're going to go to people that are going to receive it. Remember that. Remember that if you're ministering, those that, you know, if you've been ministering and ministering and ministering to somebody and you don't seem to be getting anywhere with them, have that conversation with them. Like, hey, I've told you everything I need to know. Like, a brother of mine has shared this recently with me. Like, man, I've told him everything he's going to hear. And he's like, I think the Lord's telling me maybe I need to move on. And just let them know, hey, I've told you everything I'm going to tell you. You just need to submit your life to the Lord. Repent. Turn to God. That's from the Lord. He heard that from the Lord. And that's that's a, a wise way to approach ministry. Verse 50. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised a, a persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. So the Jews didn't want to hear that the gospel um, was... Uh, was being spread. So they stirred up powerful people and they persecuted Paul and Barnabas and they expelled them. Remember what Jesus said about persecution, Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12 say, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Persecution going to come? Just say, God, thank you. That we're counted worthy to suffer for you. Uh, just we ask for your guidance and the boldness. And uh, we know that we can rejoice uh, because you're going to give us uh, a reward for us standing in our faith. Verse 51 says, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. Now, this is a powerful symbolic gesture that the Jews understood. This was powerful. That shaking off, Matthew chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, Jesus speaking again, he says, And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from uh, that house or city as you're sharing Christ with them, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for that land, uh, for the land of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah in that day uh, of judgment than for that city. That shaking off of the dust is like we don't want anything that you have coming with us. So we're ashamed of you. You're ashamed of us. We're ashamed of you. We're shaking off the dust. 
That was a powerful thing for them to do. And the Jews would have understood what was happening there. Verse 52 says, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with that joy. That joy that no matter what's happened. Remember, uh, we've seen the disciples being filled with joy after being beaten. Right? That's that joy that comes from God. Knowing that we're in the will of God and that if we're facing persecution... That, that persecution is just because we're doing what we should do and then we're going to get a reward from the Lord that we're doing what we should do and we're pleasing Him. That's a joy that only God can give us. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me and we'll pray? Oh, what a blessing to see them standing, to see the Gentile church uh, just spreading and growing. You know, And uh, we know that God isn't done with Israel. So if you've heard that, I encourage you to get into talk to me and I can get some resources in your hand. But uh, what a wonderful message that we can be saved in Christ. Father, we are so blessed uh, at the boldness that we see in the faces of opposition and the willingness to share, the willingness to uh, embrace what you've done in our lives. Help us not to be hard-hearted. And Lord, help us not to be cowardly when we need to share our faith. Help us to, to share uh, and to, to, to do what you call us to do and not be afraid of persecution or opposition. Help us to stand firm and to follow you and move forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you and keep you.